Welcome to the Encouragement Cafe with Luann and Friends, where the conversation is always hot and fresh. Comfort food for your soul is always on the menu, and friends are close enough to hug. Pull up a chair. We've been waiting just for you. Welcome to Encouragement Cafe. I'm Teresa Mills, and joining me today around the table is a gentleman that I think that you are going to enjoy meeting. His name is Pete Deshot, and when I first met Pete... Uh, It was just an amazing, amazing thing to begin to hear his story. And that was, I think I met you probably at least nine years years ago, ago. 10 years ago. Uh, Pretty amazing. So, Pete, I'm really glad to have you here with us today. Thank you. And you kind of describe yourself as a modern day Job. Uh, Amen. Yeah, (laughs) I, I would totally agree with that. And so, friend, as you're listening today, I really, I don't know what it is that you may be going through or why you tuned in at just this moment. But I do believe that as Pete shares his story of what God has done in his life, that I believe God's going to do something in your life, that you will be encouraged, that you will know that God is with you. And to be honest with you, I think a lot of us cannot imagine going through um, what Pete did. And, you know, Pete, you have a story that was in the headlines that was all over the news uh, in the Florida area and national Nationwide. news as well. So just tell us a little bit about this because this happened in 2007. Seven. Well, it's probably na- made nation- nationwide news because I'm just so awesome and they wanted to talk about <laughs> me. But the, the, this is the story in a nutshell. And I'll give you like the 50,000 foot uh, view of it and I'll bring it down. Um, so there's so much to, to try and cover. Um, but in 2007, I was a businessman living in Florida and had really totally the American dream, everything you can imagine. I was very successful in my business, had a beautiful family. And what happened on July 10th is that an airplane crashed into my house. The plane actually crashed into my next door neighbor's house. But the I guess it either careened and the gas tank broke off and it blew up in my house. Mm. And my entire family was home. It was in summertime. So the kids were out of school. Um, I worked out of home. I owned my own business at the time. And so it was 8.30 in the morning. It was a beautiful, you know, Florida morning. The sun was shining. And, you know, the kids were still asleep. So um, my wife and I were upstairs in the office. And, you know, as soon as it hit our house. There was was something, our house was made of concrete. It shook the entire house. And so whatever it was, we knew it was big, but it was only within seconds, maybe fractions of a second, that the gas tank exploded in our house. And, you know, my knee-jerk reaction was, okay, a nuclear bomb had just gone off. And and so as we ran out of the office, I saw my stepson coming down the hallway. So I was like, good, he's going. So we went down the steps. And we got out to the front door and I stopped at the front door because I had a four-year-old daughter who I I knew she wouldn't know what to do. So I ran back into the house. Mm. And you know, in the moment, there's so many, you're not really thinking, you're just reacting. So I ran all the way upstairs to her room first, forgetting that in the middle of the night, she'd come downstairs into my room. Mm. So then I ran back downstairs, opened up the door to my bedroom. And that's when you really realize the gravity of what had happened. The, wow. the, the explosion was in a room adjacent to my bedroom. Wow. And so 
the smoke was thick black, like trying to look through the back of your computer screen here at you. So you couldn't see through it. And fire is extremely loud. So, you know, most people, they kind of picture that beautiful fireplace or the, the campfire, the crackling wood, and it sounds nice. This was like Niagara Falls. Wow. So I could hear my daughter Gabby crying, but I just couldn't pinpoint wow, Jesus. where where those cries were coming from. And I was yelling, Gabby, Gabby, where are you? Daddy's here to save you. And I'm kind of stumbling across the debris because you can imagine there is drywall and, and two by fours. I made my way to the bed. At, at that time, I was a physically very, very strong man. So I lifted up all the debris on the bed with one hand. And I'm reaching across with the other, but she wasn't in the bed. And um, I, I ended up turning around just to see how close the fire was to me when it was about 10, 12 feet away, literally an inferno, floor to ceiling flames. Mm. And, you know, as much as I tried to ramp up my my search for her, you know, no one's going to overcome the smoke inhalation. I ended up passing out right there on the bed. Mm. And my next memory was a voice saying, get out now. And I I was certain it was a, an angel watching over me. Mm. And I stumbled out the, the front door, collapsing into the yard. I was in just my underwear. So I saw mm. all the neighbors looking at me. I said, this has got to look bad because the expression on their face said everything. I couldn't feel any pain. I had no idea how severely I was burned. Um, at that point, I was burned over 96% of my body. Mm. And 96 is a pretty big number. Um, if you're thinking about when you like just burn your fingertips, how much it hurts. And so I'm just laying in the grass there yelling, Somebody please go in and save my daughter. She's in the first floor master bedroom. But I knew with as much as I loved her, if I couldn't get to her, who who's going to? Yeah. And I remember the ambulance ride all the way to the hospital. And I remember all the chaos. And then that was my last memory until I started hearing Christmas music. Wow. Now that was July. July was the accident. And the July next 10th. thing you hear is Christmas music. Yeah, and I thought, wow, it's kind of odd to play Christmas music in July. Wow. But they had um, the news running constantly just on the TV. And that's when I actually heard that it was close to Christmas time. I'd been in a coma for five months. This is difficult for anyone to imagine and hear, and I'm sure even more so for you to live and maybe sometimes to retell. But you have the joy of knowing how the story ends now. But at that point, when you're in a hospital room, you realize you've been in a coma since July. What are you hearing from the doctors? What are they saying to you at that point? Okay, well, I didn't feel any pain. Praise God. Before. Oh, okay. But when I woke up, I felt pain. All right. And there was a lot, mm. a lot of pain. I was also blind. Um, and not, not in the sense where it was total darkness. It was kind of like um, looking through one of those plastic milk jugs. Mm -hmm. If you can imagine, it's very opaque. I could see shapes and colors, light and dark. But... I mean, you're only three, four feet away from me. I wouldn't know you're a man or a woman until you spoke. Wow. Okay. 
And so I also, you know, I was at the point before the accident where I could squat 500 pounds. I was very physically strong. Not that I was a large man, just the way God designed my body. I was densely packed. Um, but now I was so weak, I couldn't lift the bed sheet. Mm. So wow. I'm cold. I have a tracheotomy, so I can't speak. I can't say, hey, I'm cold, and I can't cover myself. And so you're in that position of just kind of enduring a lot, a lot of enduring, a lot of enduring the pain, not being able to tell them, hey, I'm hurting, not enduring, you know, the, the thirst because they couldn't let me drink anything. So the mm. best they could do is take a little wet sponge and rub it on my gums. And so there's a lot of enduring. And they, you know, I'd, I'd hear them say that, you know, I'd probably never walk again and, and, and things like that. The prog prognosis was really not very positive. <laughs> I'm sure not. Now, you had shared with me at one point, they actually take the percentage of your body that is burned and have some kind of formula or calculation for recovery. What was that? Uh, yeah. They take your age, which I was 36. And the percentage of your body that's burned, which was 96, and they add it together, and that's your chance to die. Your chance to die, not your chance of not living. Not your chance to live. So I had a 132% chance of dying. And mm. to, to kind of prove that point, there are two women that were in an automobile accident, burned much less severely than I was, had much greater chance of survival, and they both died. Wow. The same week, the same week. My goodness. So now we're at the point of the story where you are in this hospital. You've been in a coma. You're considered blind. Uh, they tell you you're not going to walk again, potentially. And I already know my daughter's died. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't need to, anybody to tell me that. You knew that. The other thing that I learned is that my wife had left me mm. while I was in the hospital. Pretty much everything's gone. And, and it's kind of an ironic and weird um way to say it i was blessed with having this confluence of really big bad things all at the same time mm. because you couldn't really focus on any one i couldn't spend a hundred percent of my time focusing on the loss of my daughter gabriella i couldn't focus a hundred percent of the time on my physical pain or on the loss of my wife so it kind of in a, in a kind of weird twist made things easier for me to deal with it's kind of like okay same let's time. focus here 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 mm. wow so we told you at the beginning of this story that pete considers himself a modern day job and now if you, you know, know why. well yeah if you know anything about the story of job you know that job lost everything and but that's not where job's story ends and that is not where pete's story ends and I will have you know that Pete walked into the studio today by himself. So we already know that one prognosis of never being able to walk. Well, God said no to that. He's like, yep, Pete walks in on his own. And tell us some of the restoration of what God has done, even well, in these last few years. I was a Florida. I was, you know, living in Florida at the time of the accident, but I was raised in Virginia. And so since my wife had left me, I had nowhere to go. And they can't keep you in the hospital forever. Mm -hmm. So I just called my mom, who was probably the best nurse. I cannot give enough accolades for my mom. She was fantastic. Moms, I love you. You guys are all <laughs> amazing. 
And so I just called her and said, Mom, um, can I come stay with you till I get back on my feet? She lives in Virginia. So I end up back here. And of course she said yes. And, um, you know, I have that kind of indomitable spirit where there is not going to be anything that's going to keep me down. And so as for the walking, my mom happened to live at the bottom of a very big hill where there's no way down but only up. Mm. Uh, you know, she's at the end of a cul-de-sac that kind of goes all the way down. And it's a really long, uh, I can tell you it's like 1,475 steps. Not that I was <laughs> counting, you know, 10 years later. Mm. But um, I remember driving in for the first time going, I'm going to conquer that hill. Amen. And mm. she would she would faithfully go behind me with the, the wheelchair and I'd take as many steps as I could take. Whatever it be, 5, 10, 100 we eventually got over that hill amen i can tell you going down the hill is a lot harder than going oh up yeah you had, you had to kind of <laughs> not fall so we told you at the beginning of this story that pete considers himself a modern day job and tell us some of the restoration of what god has done even well, in these last few years because i was back in virginia i was able to go to one of the foremost hospitals when it came to corneal care mm. which was johns hopkins and the doctor who actually, if he didn't invent the surgery, he certainly perfected the corneal transplant. His name is Dr. Walter Starks. Genius of a man. Genius of a man. And so I was able to go up there. First time I went up there, they had to kind of roll me in on a gurney. I had like open wounds everywhere, oozing, leaking, probably wondering why I'm out of a hospital, you know, looking at Wow. Me. Mm. And he looked at my eyes and he said... I'm sorry, son. There's nothing I can do to help you. Wow. I'm like, what? That's not what you want to hear. (laughs) You are the world's foremost expert. And there's nothing you can do to help? What are you talking about? And he said, here's the problem. Because of just like the, the scarring and burns that you got on your skin, on your body, same thing happened to your corneas. They're burnt. So you had lots of vascularization that went through. So that means blood vessels kind of growing across, which you're not supposed to. Cornea is the only place you have no blood flow in your body that's alive. And the other thing is there's lots of scarring. And your eyelids have shrunk. So I can do the surgery. And you may even have good vision until your eyes finally dry out. And then they fall off. I'm like, whoa, he said, your corneas are so weak. I don't even know if they could handle the surgery, the trauma of the surgery. And I, I said, okay, okay, doc, here, let's, let's look at this. You know which one's better than the other. Which one's the worst eye? He said, your left eye. I said, okay, why don't we try it? It's my eye, right? I'm blind right now. Let's try it. If I lose the eye, what have I lost? I'll still have one bad eye. I said, so let, let's give it a shot. And you know, you know it's the favor of God when you're able to convince the foremost expert in a field to do something that they don't think is a good idea. Yeah. But the short story is he did that eye. It was so good that, you know, it's a, it's a training hospital. All the students would come through. And so he would take every student and say, do you know this guy's story? He'd be telling my testimony more and I'd tell my testimony. Wow. And the eye was perfect. He said, look how good that cornea is. That's amazing. I said, yeah, I can't wait till you're saying that about the other eye. 
because he he did one, but he was so hesitant. It took two, three years for him to do that second eye. And it was the same type of, I had to convince him. Mm. Let's just give it a shot. Let's just do this. And, you know, this, is, this isn't a small surgery. Literally, they cut the front of your eyeball off, and then they sew it on with 18 stitches. Mm. Now, if you've ever kind of like just touched your eyeball, it hurts. This was a real painful endeavor because it's, mm. it's not only that, they have to, you have to have frequent eye exams. They're shining these bright lights. I'm light sensitive anyway. So I have to sit through that, try not to sneeze in their face as they're shining these super bright lights <laughs> in my eye. And then when they have to take the stitches out, which by the way, in a cornea transplant, the stitches don't stay forever. Mm. They don't self-dissolve. They have to come and cut them out and then pull out these stitches. You feel every one of those. And they're coming in with this bright light and these sharp utensils into your eyeball. Mm. I want you to just try and picture that. So by me even saying, hey, let's do it. I, I think the sane person would have been happy with one and just <laughs> moved on. But I'm not that person. So I'm like, good is good. Great is better. Let's go for both of them. And I finally convinced them. And you know what's the miracle about that? It was, it was maybe six months or so after he did that surgery, he actually unexpectedly retired. Mm. And so I was able to get both eyes done by the world's foremost expert in it. Wow. So I have to tell this part of your story because I love it so much. Ah, uh, go ahead. And <laughs> I love that, you know, God restored everything to you. Yeah. So he's restored sight. He's restored your ability to walk. And I love the story of how he restored to you this beautiful wife that God has given you. But interestingly, and you can correct me if I'm telling this wrong, but you still could not see at the time that you met Judy. Correct. Correct. You could see just kind of barely anything. You I, hadn't had this surgery yet. I knew she was a woman because she spoke to me. That's yes. about it. <laughs> and she had had someone in her life that had gone through a burn, I think a cousin. And right. so at church, she strikes up a conversation with you about what kind of treatment you're having. Very innocent. She had had a scenario in life where um, she had been really... Rough, rough relationship. Yeah, really misused and abused because she was so beautiful. People would just take advantage of that. And she'd made up her mind she wasn't going to have anybody else. Yep. And that's, I, I always say that part of the story, like I was blessed to be blind mm. because I couldn't look at her any other way than to try and focus where I thought the eyes would be. And I could tell where the eyes were because the natural shadows that fall mm -hmm. would leave that as a little bit darker on her face. So that's why, and she, she always kind of said, wow, you were such a gentleman. You always looked at my eyes. It's like it's the only thing I could have looked at. <laughs> Which but, is beautiful. But, you know, normally when men would look at her, they'd look at her. Yeah. And it would make her feel uncomfortable. And she had that, that stone wall up saying, back off, buddy. N nothing yeah. to see here. And with me, she didn't have any of that dis-ease because I wasn't able to look at anything Yeah. Else. And then my amazing charm just took over and <laughs> she, she didn't have a chance. Pete really is a humble man, although <laughs> some of the things he's saying doesn't sound like it, but he does joke. Uh, uh, if you can't laugh at yourself, what are you going to laugh it's at? It's very true. But God bless the two of you. You mm -hmm. got married and then you get your sight back and then you see what a beautiful woman you have married. Yeah. That's pretty cool God story. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like, wow. Um, you know, it's kind of like playing the lottery and you actually won. 
and, <laughs> and hard to believe. And, and, you know, to make the Job story complete, not only have we been happily married now for 10 years, um, we have a beautiful nine-year-old daughter also. And um, it's just amazing what God will use because um, her cousin that was burned had the same name as the wife that left me. Mm. And so God redeemed even that name. Wow. And it's, it's so amazing. And um, my ex-wife was actually from a foreign country that we're going to go this year to and get to minister. And so he's going to redeem even that. Wow. Isn't that something? Yeah. Because what is fantastic is God did restore. And he has done, you knew the Lord before this, but you know him so much greater now with his favor, with his faithfulness, with his amazing mercy and grace. And your story is so profound. I mean, there I literally don't know another person that has this story that you have. Um, God is opening doors across the world for you to share who God is and how he is a miracle-working God and his faithfulness. And so just kind of tell us what that is like for you to be able to see now how God is redeeming even what happened. I know you've mentioned through the name and through the country that you're going to, but you've been to several places. Right. And, you know, um, God's word is truth. And it says in Romans eight twenty eight, he will turn all things to good. And all things doesn't mean the things that we think can be turned to good. It's all things. And um, I'm on, because this is Encouragement Cafe, I want to encourage that, you know, not everybody's going to have a story that's as spectacular as an airplane crashing in the house. Mm -hmm. But, you know, everybody that's hearing this right now has experienced some level of pain. Okay. And it, it, it may look different, but when you're walking through it, I can't put that on a scale and say, this is worse than, than this, right? When you're going through it, that's your everything. Someone who's been diagnosed with uh, cancer or who lost a loved one, that, don't tell them about anything bad. They're going through it. They know what it is. Yeah. They understand the pain. But the, the other side of that is, once you cross that ravine, is that who better to minister yes. to somebody who is in that addiction or going through that loss than somebody who's experienced that addiction or, or who's experienced that loss. Yes. And you know, yes, it's true. I've been able to go to countries like Pakistan and India and Cuba and different countries like that. And that is great. And I love those ministries. And literally tens of thousands of lives have been changed because of what I've walked through. But what's really important not everybody's going to have the opportunity to go to those countries that's correct yeah. the, the most profound ministries aren't the one on ten thousand type ministries right it's the one-on-one -on -one. Mm -hmm. it's the you and me sitting and talking and me being able to say you know what i get it i get it i understand you're hurting yeah but you know what there there is something on the other side of this there is a light at the end of the tunnel it's not a train coming at you. yes and the beauty of it, the beauty of it is not, it is this scripture, Romans 8, 28, true. Is it, do we have the patience to wait to see it come true wow. in our lives? Are we going to be able to sit back and say, okay, God, how are you going to take this and make something good? You said you're going to do it, and I'm going to hold you to it, God. Amen. How are you going to do it? How am I going to see something beautiful, beauty from the ashes? That is amazing. 
Pete, thank you for sharing with us today. It is such a beautiful story. I know your family personally, and I've seen what God is doing and the healing that He still does and how you do minister one-on-one, even in the grocery aisle. But this is fantastic. So if someone wants to find out more about your ministry, about the book that you have that tells your story, or maybe invite you to speak at something that they have, where can they find more information about Pete Deshot? Uh, Throughthefire.net. That's throughthefire, all one word, dot net. That's um, the website I set up. But, you know, I have a, a an email Thanks for joining us today and Encouragement Cafe with Luann and friends where women gather, friends laugh, and hearts mend. Let's continue our conversation. Hop online when you get a chance to sit down and breathe at EncouragementCafe.com. Remember, thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you for listening today. And may the God of hope give you the courage to encourage others today.